Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Dan. I'm one of the elders here at Anthem. And uh, about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, I was sitting in Jerusalem and I had Chris text me and say, um, would you be willing to do one of the Lenten messages, right? And so as I was sitting there, keep in mind, I'm in the land of being justified by your actions, right? This is the law. This is the center. This is 613 commandments that I got to keep. And I'm sitting there thinking, I am a Lenten guy, okay? I love Lent. And the concept of Lent usually is what? What do we usually think about when we think about Lent? What's the question that we would ask? What are you going to give up, right? What are you giving up for Lent? So I'm sitting there, and you have to understand, this is my personality. I'm one of those guys that I sort of want to prove to God that I'm worthy of his investment. So I'm sitting there thinking, what can I do to impress God? What can I do? What can I give up? Or what can I add to that God's going to look upon me and say, you know what? I'm so proud of you. You're the man. So that's my personality. And then I get a follow-up text from Chris. He says, here's what I want you to speak on. I want you to speak about the greatness of God and his reckless, overwhelming love. And as I heard that, yeah, I was telling Tavis when I first heard the Linton message, I thought, oh, good, I can sharpen my sword up. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to let people know this is what we can do. And then I realized that I've got to speak on the greatness of God and his reckless, overwhelming, undeserved, unmerited love. And then I realized that God was saying, Dan, I'm not concerned about you being the preacher, teacher, orator. I want you to understand who I am in your life. And all of a sudden, this idea of, yeah, I can't wait to talk about Lent, all of a sudden, I felt my heart drop. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to tell my people not only how great I am, but you need to explain them to them how much I care and love them. God's not interested in religion. You know that, right? And you know what religion is at the heart of it? It goes back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve fall. They're aware of their nakedness, and they say, I know what I can do. I'll clothe myself. That's religion. 
That's man's attempt. God's not concerned about your attempts. God created you for a purpose. And it's hard for us to conceive of this, especially when we talk about his greatness. But the purpose that he created you for was not that you would keep rules, regulations, commandments, but he created you for a relationship. Well, let's pray. Jesus, it's impossible for us to understand who you are in, the, in its entirety and what you've done. It's impossible for us to understand your greatness and your overwhelming, reckless love for us. But we invite you here. We pray that you would Give us ears to hear the things that you want to say to each one of us personally. We pray these things in your name. We're two weeks out from what I will call the second greatest event in the history of mankind. Two weeks out from the second greatest event in the history of mankind and we call it Easter or we call it Resurrection Sunday Lent is to get us to the place that we're prepared to receive that to understand conceptually what it's all about and what he's done but we first start with who he is the greatness of God. We used to use a phrase when I was growing up, you're one in a million, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, now, due to inflation, that doesn't mean as much as it once did, right? <laughs> so now we have to change that. We can say, what, you're one in a billion? Or now we have this term that is hard for us to completely comprehend. It's not a million, it's not a billion, but it's a trillion. Do you know how difficult it is to explain what a trillion is? Listen to this. If I go back a billion seconds, I'd land in 1995. Got it? A billion seconds, I land in 1995. If I go back a trillion seconds, it'd be around 30,000 BC. What? So when we're talking about the greatness of God, I always see this picture of Abraham and I see God saying, let's go for a walk, the sun's setting. I'm going to tell you all the promises that I have for you. And let's start with you counting the stars. And when we're done with the stars, we'll do the grains of sand, right? The greatness of God. 
Let me give you some statistics, and I hope it explodes your mind. And by the way, it was C.S. Lewis that said, if we were able to comprehend the greatness of God and the magnitude of his love, we would be his equal. So let me say from the beginning, there's no way that we're going to be able to comprehend this. But let's try. So we're walking with Abraham, and we're looking at the stars. Do you know how many stars astrologists say that there actually are in our galaxy and universe? That's right. Quite a few. <laughs> 200 billion trillion stars. Come on, Abe, let's go count them. Do you know how many people, as of right now, are on this planet? 8.2 billion people on the planet. Do you know that in the human body, I just saw this incredible, I don't know if you've seen it, if you haven't, Google it, but I saw a microscopic picture slide of one human cell. Has anybody seen that? Oh, you got to look at it. It's incredible, the complexity of one human cell. Do you know that biologists will tell us that there are 37 trillion cells in your body? The greatness of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How did this all come about? Out of nothing, he spoke this planet, this galaxy, this universe, this human body he formed in your mother's womb. He called it into existence. He breathed life into it. 8.2 billion in the planet. And each one of those, a living soul, each one of those created by God in their mother's womb, right? Can we comprehend that? Are you just one of eight billion with tons of trillions of cells in the midst of a galaxy that we couldn't even comprehend? And yet, is this true? I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time began. My life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I cry. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. He knows 
my name. How deep then in this, the greatness of God, how deep is the Father's love for us? What do you know about the Father? What's your image of God the Father? Is he judgmental? Is he angry? Is he a scorekeeper? Does he have a lightning bolt? Is he a cop that's waiting to pull you over? What's your image of God the Father? Jesus said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Remember, you were created for fellowship with him. There's no way that we can comprehend the intimacy of God and his desire to be with you. How deep, how intimate. Let me give you two examples. I have a friend... Um, Canadian, about 25 years ago, moved to Israel, lived on a kibbutz, was a hippie, druggy guy, came to know Jesus, and on the kibbutz, he's an artist, a sculptor. And God said to him, Rick, I got a job for you. I want you to create and build a gallery. And in this gallery, I want you to sculpt some things, and I want you to, in a sense, out of relief of a wall, I want you to put together two factions. I want you to bring the last words of Jesus from the cross on these walls, but in front of each one of these seven, I want you to have a Holocaust victim and being in Israel if you've ever been you know there's two things you never talk about in Israel one holocaust it's still an open wound right six million Jews can you comprehend we talked about million billion trillion six million Jews killed the other thing you never talk about is the crucifixion of Jesus because for the Jew, the reason for the Holocaust is we're blamed for that. So those are the two subjects that you'll never talk about. So God says to Rick, I want you to combine these two. And what do you think Rick says? It's a Jonah situation. You are out of your mind. I won't touch that with the 10-foot pole. Can't do it. And God said, no, you, you will do it. 
And he says, no, no, you have to understand. God, you know as a creator, you know that you have to have a buy-in to create and to build. You have to have a memory. I have no memory of this. I lived in Canada, okay? Uh, The the Nazi final solution, genocide, didn't even come to us. We learned about that later. There's no way that I can create that. And then God said, but I do. I have a memory of every child Every man, every woman, every cattle car, every pit, every gas chamber, every crematorium, I heard every cry, I captured every tear, I heard every prayer. Rick, You're going to create from my memory, not yours. Is your God that great? That big? That intimate? That loving? That caring? And then a second example. When we go to Israel, we always try to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, obviously, but not where the Church of All Nations are. There's a separate area that's sort of a private area that you can go into. And I always want to take our people there, not just to see a church or a building, but for a time of reflection and prayer and remembering. And so as we go in to that area where these olive trees are, you know the story. Jesus has come from serving and giving his disciples what we call the Last Supper. He then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's carrying now the burdens or the beginning of the sins of the world upon him, right? And it's affecting him physically. Because as he's in the garden, what is happening to him? It it says in the text that that there's blood that he's sweating from all of this. And then we have that conversation between him and the Father. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, is there any other way? Is there anything else that we can do other than what's set before me? And then in this struggle, he says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, right? And so it came to me that as we were in the garden, I was going to ask our folks, what do you think Jesus had on his mind when he was in this garden? And my wife took this to her heart. And as she was reflecting upon this, you know what Jesus said to her? What did I have on my mind in the garden? 
I had you on my mind. You. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised its shame for you. And, and we, there's no possible way that we can comprehend the agony, the torture of what Jesus went through. But as we talk about the overwhelming, reckless love of God, what if that was true? It is true, but think about it. What if it was just you and God says, I would do this or I did this just for you? Why? Because I formed you in your mother's womb and I desired that we would have a relationship. Can you comprehend that? That the God of the universe knows your name and every thought and he wants a relationship with you. So that's my spiel on the greatness of God and the intimacy of God. And, and now we'll hit a pause and we'll think a little bit more about Lent. As part of Lent's preparation, it's not just a matter of what can I give up or what can I do to earn But we want to sit at the foot of the cross and realize that God himself is in love with us. There's no disciplines that you can do to earn or achieve a greater standing with God. Right? There's nothing you can do. And so the text that I was given is the story of two sons. And by the way, both of them are lost. And when Jesus tells a parable, remember, there were a lot of rabbis in Jesus' day. There were a lot of teachers of the law. But Jesus had a reputation where they would say, you know, there's something different about this guy. Because when he teaches, he teaches as one who has authority. And these stories of Jesus, when he tells them, they come alive, don't they? Even though this is a parable, I've lived in this story, and I dare say some of you also have. So what is this story? It's a story about father, a father with two sons. Remember, Jesus says, no one knows the father but the son. No one knows the son but the father. But I'm going to reveal the father to you. The father in this story is God. It's familiar it's in Luke 15, and verse 11 says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. This first son He says to the father, give me. I want what you have. Give me. Oh, by the way, I want what you have, but I don't want you. Give me. Father, I really want all that you have. I want you to give me my share. I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's what's happened. You know the story well enough to realize that when you live in the land of give me, you'll never have enough right? You'll never be satisfied. The wisest man who wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said, whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So the first son says, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. What's the father's heart? Because remember, the father's who? God. And when he divided it all up, he gave it out. And verse 14 says, and when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Every so often you wonder, what's the bottom of the barrel, right? For a Jew, you can go this far, but if you're going to be sent out in the field to feed pigs, you're going to be at the bottom of the barrel, right? And what they usually fed pigs with was carob pods. And what this is basically saying is that this guy was just willing to eat the shells of the carob, it's like a walnut that you take the inside out and you're just going to suck on the shell. That's all he had. So, what does he do? Verse 7 says, but when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and I will go. By the way, it doesn't say I will arise and go home. It doesn't say I'll arise and go back to my village. But it says I will arise and go back to dad. I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to him, father, here's Lent, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no, wor- no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Interesting. I'm going back. And when you live in the land of Gimme, you're going to find out you're going to run out. You're never going to be satisfied. And we get this now picture, and we're never told the duration of this. I'm a porch guy, okay? I love porches. So I can sit out there even when it's snowing out, you know? So I love this porch sort of thing. And in my mind, you know what I'm seeing? And again, keep in mind, we're not given a duration. We don't know, was this a month? Did he squander it all in a year? Was it three years? Was it ten years? But I'll tell you what, Jesus is going to reveal the heart of the Father, and I think the Father was a porch guy. And I got a feeling the Father daily would be on the porch. And much like what I'm doing now, pacing back and forth, looking off in the horizon and wondering as he sees different people so far away, is he saying, could this be the day? Is, is that my boy? Is, is he coming my way? And in the Middle East culture, you know what the father's going to do in this story? <laughs> He's going to run after this wayward son. In the Middle East culture, no father is going to run. It's the opposite. But what's the picture? What are we supposed to see here? And he arose, and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father what? Did he sit on the porch with his arms crossed? About time you came back. Do you know how disappointed I am in you? You got a lot of makeup to do. You're right. You're no longer worthy to be called my son. I'm not even sure I got a role for you any longer. Is that what he does? Or is the heart of this great God of ours that has a reckless love for each one of us He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Did you notice that those things, a robe, a ring, a shoes, a fatted calf, They weren't necessities, were they? They were all meant to honor his son. To make his son know how much he was loved. The father did much more than merely just meeting his son's needs. Right? And we'd like to think, that's the end of the story. And we'd like to say, that's the greatness of the love of God. That's the one that would leave the 90 and 9 and go after and just find the one. That's the one that would bring that back and say, let's celebrate because my lost has been found. Celebration time, right? But the story doesn't end there because there's another lost son. And by the way, we've all been probably each one of these sons. His older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother's come back. And your father's killed the fatted calf because... He's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered saying to his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends But when this son of yours came, the one that's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. This son, the first one, said, give me. I want your stuff, but I don't care about you. You know what this son said? You owe me. You owe me. I have kept all of your commandments. I have kept all of your rules. I have served you. And yet, you didn't give me anything. God, you owe me. This story reveals the possibility of living in the Father's house and failing to understand the Father's heart. His second lost son was living in the land of you owe me. Look what I've done. I could say it this way. The story reveals the possibility of living in the Father's house and failing to understand the Father's heart. The older son could say, I went to church. 
I went to Bible study. I checked all the boxes, right? And you have not done anything what you just did for him. You owe me. It's possible, my friends, to do all those outside things and never understand the Father's heart. Never understand what a relationship is supposed to be. Why God created you in the first place. I'm going to have the worship team come up now as we sort of wrap this up. As they're coming, I'll finish the parable. The father says to the older son, you've always been with me. All that's mine is yours, and it was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. So as we bring this to a conclusion, we have the story of two sons. One says, give me, and the other one says, you owe me. And we have the story of a father, Father God, who wants to say to both sons, This is about a relationship. God did not create us to just give us things. Let me say it again. God didn't create us to just give us things. Nor can we do anything whatsoever to earn more of God's love. This is a story about God's love. This is a story about relationship. I was going to end this message by saying to us all, it's time to go home. Let's just go home. Let's go back to the Father's house. Let's find a living room. We're two weeks out from the second greatest event in human history. Let's sit on the couch, and in place of the fireplace, we'll see an old, rugged, blood-stained cross. Let's understand the Father's love, how deep the Father's love for us. But you know what? We don't want to just go back home. We want to come to the Father. The message for our takeaway. I've alluded to the second greatest miracle event in the history of humankind. If I were to end now, I know somebody would grab me in the lobby and say, well, what's the first, right? The first one, 
is found in the Gospel of John. This is the greatest event in the history of mankind. You ready? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. It's full of grace and full of truth. The greatest miracle, oh, don't get me wrong, death and resurrection's up there. But the greatest miracle is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus laid aside and became flesh and tabernacled among us. He loves us so much that he paid that price. What's the message that we want to give the world? Keep his commandments. What are you giving up for Lent? What's the message that we want to give? I don't know how many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution. I'm a product of that. Big surprise, it wasn't showing in Israel when it just came out. But my wife and I were able to see it last week. And like I said, I'm a product of that. I wept through it all. And then when I'm asked, what was the message? What was the spark for that revolution? It's pretty simple. Sounds a bit corny. But you know what the message was? Jesus loves What a message. Jesus loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. That's what Easter's about. The proof of that love is a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb. Don't live in the land of give me. And don't you dare say to God, you owe me. Let's be as children. Back to John, I'll end with this. For all of those who believe, in all of those who have received, he has given them the power, the authority, the might to be called the children of God. And your message is it's available to 8.2 billion on the planet. And we are his messengers. Amen? God bless you.